Good evening, brethren. Welcome to the first life class in the month of May. We are in our month of divine design, where God works all things together for our good. All things are working together for your good. The lines will fall upon you in pleasant places in this month of May. Hallelujah. It's a new life class series that we're starting out this month, and it's all about understanding the grace of God. What is grace? How do you define grace? What's the impact? What's the meaning of grace? Grace is more than a prayer that we pray. You know, some people, whenever we say um, grace, the first thing that comes to their mind is uh, the prayer at the end of a Christian meeting or gathering. We say it all the time. Let's say the grace. We'll say the grace even tonight before we are done with this life class. Another thing that people think about when they think about grace is they think that it's the name of their favorite girlfriend. You know, that girlfriend that you really like and her name is Grace. Or we think of Grace as that middle name of a whole lot of Christian enterprises, you know, uh, Graceland, Grace City, Grace Business. We use Grace in a lot of our Christian language. Some people also think that Grace is simply a doctrine or a message that we preach that we teach but grace is so much more than this and in this life class series we'll be answering the question of what is grace and we'll be delving deep to really understand grace it's going to be liberating it's going to be life-changing and you really don't want to miss it today i'm just simply laying a foundation that we will now build upon in the next couple of wednesdays so you don't want to miss any part of this New Life Class Series, Understanding Grace. Our pilot text for tonight's teaching is taken from the book of Ephesians and chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 to verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. Here beginning of the reading of God's word. It says, But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us live together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding greatness of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I dare to say that if Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is Paul's pro professorial thesis on the gospel of the kingdom. It's a masterpiece of theological teaching on the finished work of Christ and the outplay of that finished work in our lives. And our pilot text is the manifesto of the process of our salvation. It tells us how we are saved. It talks about God who was rich in mercy, saves us out of his love by grace through faith. This is the way I like to put it. Mercy preserved us for grace to save us through faith. Did you get that? Mercy preserved us for grace to save us through faith. 
Though mercy and grace are often um, mistaken to be the same thing or yeah, uh, the people use them interchangeably and they are irrevocably connected, yet they are not the same thing. They are different. At best, they are two sides of the same coin, you know, heads and tails. One side is grace, the other side is mercy. The word of God instructs us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 16 that we shall come boldly unto the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. Now, if these two things, mercy and grace, were exactly the same thing, then this scripture would not have made a demarcation between them to, to obtain mercy and to find grace. They, they are different. They, they do different things. Okay. Now, mercy is what stands between us and deserved judgment. Mercy says, says no. This is why sometimes we pray that mercy will triumph over judgment. Mercy stands between us and the judgment that we deserve, while grace gives us something that we do not deserve. Mercy blocks something from getting to you, some evil, some bad thing, some punishment. It blocks it from getting to you, while grace gives you something good that you don't deserve. Mercy stands in the way of punishment uh, that we deserve, while grace gives us the favor that we do not deserve. Are you starting to see the differences? Mercy stands in the way of punishment and judgment that you deserve, while grace gives you the favor that you do not deserve. The law is constantly seeking to pay us the wages of our sin. <laughs> the wages of the labor of sin that we have worked, hallelujah. And the wages of sin is what? Is death. But mercy stands in the way and blocks the wages of sin from getting to me. Hallelujah. Thank God for his mercy. It's because of his mercies that we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. However, even though mercy is blocking the judgment or the consequence or the punishment or the wages of my sin, it hasn't yet delivered me from sin in itself. I might have mercy blocking the judgment of sin, but as long as I am living in sin, I continue to attract the wages of sin, death. So mercy is blocking it, but my continuing in sin keeps on attracting, attracting the wages of sin. So as wonderful as mercy is, it is not enough. I need something else in addition to mercy in comes grace. Grace is that thing that I need, not just mercy. Why? Mercy gives me what I need and I don't deserve. Mercy, grace rather, teaches and enables me to live above sin. Did you get it? Grace enables me. It gives me what I didn't deserve, what I need. It teaches me. It enables me. Grace teaches us how to deny sin, how to live above sin. So I stop doing the thing that attract, attracted the judgment in the first place, which was sin. It, it, you see, mercy blocks the wages, the judgment that comes as a result of sin, while grace comes in to enable me to live above sin. All right? We need both mercy and grace. It says that you might obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. 
mercy was the premise of God to even be able to relate with us in the first place. Without mercy, God couldn't relate with us because uh, he could not behold iniquity. He would need to judge iniquity uh, instantaneously once he saw it. But mercy allows God to be able to relate with us even though there was still sin in our life. But now that he relates with us, he bestows upon us grace. He gives us grace to set us free from the clutches of sin and death. So mercy paves the pathway for God to be able to relate with us. And then God, immediately he's relating with us. What is God doing? God is giving us grace to deliver us from the clutches of sin that would have required death. So another way to put it is that mercy buys time while grace gives you or helps you use the time that mercy has bought to escape judgment. To, it gives you, you know, you, you've heard the statement made many times that um, the, uh, you, you have, let, let's give them a bit of time. All right. Mercy buys time in which grace comes in to enable you um, be delivered from your sins. We cannot be saved. You and I cannot be saved without grace. We are saved by grace through faith. The our pilot text tells us your best works couldn't save you. Your great name couldn't save you. Your wonderful pedigree and background couldn't save you. Your competence could not save you. Only grace could save you. And in this series on understanding grace, I'm going to start by laying the foundation of why we all need grace. Where would I be without the grace of God? The subject of tonight's teaching is why we all need grace. Why you need grace. Let's pray. Mighty Father, I ask that you help me tonight. I ask that you speak through me. I ask that you help me to rightly divide your word, doing no injustice to it, but bringing the truth to, to, of it to the hearts of your people. And that by reason of that revelation of truth, will be elevated to a new level of experience with you. Cause the wonders of your grace to be our focus tonight, our revelation tonight, our illumination tonight, our liberty tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we do pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. There's so many scriptures and so many stories um, that we can use to to illustrate and to teach about the grace of God. In fact, the, the Bible is just full, it's a constant love story depicting the awesome, the tremendous, the amazing, the, the unbelievable, quote-unquote, grace of God. And one of such stories is the one we find in the book of John and chapter 8, from John chapter 8, verse 3 to verse 11. We, we read the story of the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. And this woman was brought by the um, scribes and the Pharisees to Jesus um, and for them to ask Jesus that should we go ahead and stone this woman according as the law of Moses requires. You see, the law is always going to call for you to be stoned and for you to be judged. But Jesus intervened 
by asking all of those that had gathered to stone this woman that he that is without sin should cast the first stone. And the scripture tells us that they all started to depart one by one from the oldest to the youngest. The longer you live, the more you are, you realize that you're not without sin. It's the younger people that are still feeling like I'm all that. But even the younger people had to come to the conclusion that the truth be told, I'm not without sin. And when they had all left, Jesus then turned and asked this woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there not, no one accuses me, no one condemns me any one anymore and then he said to her neither do i condemn you go and sin no more wow there are there are quite a few stories that depict the wonders of grace but very few of them quite like this one this this story is whoa it is wonderful it's mind-blowing this is this is grace in action this is this is this story so powerfully illustrates the what grace does and the interplay between mercy and grace this woman was caught in sin she was caught in the very act of adultery and isn't that the story of a whole lot of us that we are we're caught in sin it might not be adultery it might not be something that we you know it's us that we it's human beings that elevate one sin over the other but the truth be told everyone is caught in one sin or the other unless they are saved they're caught there there's a sin that love so easily beset you we see that the truth be told everybody there was caught because when jesus said he that is within without sin let him cast the first stone all of them had to depart at the end of the day okay uh this woman was caught in sin and the wages of sin is death so law sought judgment law sought judgment it was just for them to to look for her to be judged but mercy said no mercy said no mercy chased away the accusers mercy chased away the accusers but then mercy turned around its other face to this woman uh, mercy chased away the accuser and then turned to the woman but he he turned his other face to the woman and mercy uh, with his new face stoned the woman but he he didn't stone the woman with the stones of the gr- ground he stoned the woman with the, the the cornerstone the rejected cornerstone that became the head of the corner he stoned the woman with the stone of grace instead of stoning her with judgment with the law with legality she he stoned the woman with grace the other face of mercy as we know is grace and grace said what did grace say grace grace said no neither do i condemn you go and sin no more you see that's grace grace never brings condemnation grace brings empowerment grace brings enablement listen to what the new testament says um, later when it says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in christ jesus he did not come into the world to condemn the world but to deliver the world from sin and its consequences its judgment so mercy stops the judgment i deserve but grace gives me the enablement to go and sin no more so i will no longer attract the judgment that i deserved before is anybody hearing me what i'm saying are you getting it tonight hallelujah this woman was not just in need of mercy but also in need of grace 
She was not, and the funny thing when we look at this text closely, this story closely, is that she was not the only one in need of grace in the text. She wasn't the only one in need of grace. The, the truth be told, aside from Jesus, everybody in that text, the scribes, the Pharisees, the rulers, the leaders, the men of pomp and pageantry and station and all of that, every single one of them was in need of grace, even if they did not know so themselves, because not one of them was without sin. So every one of them needed the grace even though they might not have known it. And that's the truth. The truth is every one of us need grace. grace. And a lot of people that are even behaving like, I don't need no grace, I'm good at two shoes, are still in need of the grace of God. To truly understand grace, we must first understand our need for grace. If we do not truly appreciate our need for grace, then we will not truly appreciate grace itself if we do not truly understand our need for grace or appreciate our need for grace then we won't truly appreciate grace itself romans chapter 3 verse 10 and to 12 says as it is, it is as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none who understands there is none who seeks after god they have all turned aside they have all together become unprofitable there is none who does good no not one listen to that it says there is none there is absolutely no one that is righteous no not a one romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says for all not some but for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we're not just talking about sin, the act. We're also talking about sin, the nature. Listen, David in the book of Psalms and chapter 51 and verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, uh, theologians will tell you when you study closely that David was talking very much about himself. Apparently, David was uh, a child that was born outside of wedlock. He was born to a different mother than the mother of his brothers. This was why when um, Samuel came to Jesse's house and asked for Jesse's son, sons, he brought all these sons to to, 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 to Samuel and the anointing would not flow. And it was only an afterthought. Oh, I actually do have another son. This was the, the quote unquote, uh, illegitimate son. Yet he was legitimized by God. Hallelujah. When the world uh, tries to make you illegitimate, grace says you are leg legitimate. Grace says you are my chosen one. Grace says I'm going to give you what you do not deserve. We see this, this wonderful stories of grace throughout the word of God. How grace selects the downtrodden, the, the outcast, the looked down upon, the for, for, forgotten and forsaken. Hallelujah. So even though when... David wrote this scripture, Psalms 51 and verse 5, that I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. He was talking primarily about himself. It's still applicable to every single 
human being that we were born into sin we were born into sin this is the sin nature not the sin act the 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 the, the pulls of sin already within our natural human nature we were born with it there are three types of sin that i like to talk about there's the original sin which adam and eve committed on our behalf we didn't ask them to do it but they did it on our behalf that's the original sin that gave birth to every other sin then we have what we call ancestral sin ancestral sin is when the scripture talks about the sins of the father and passing on down to down generations yeah there are sins in family lineages that were were, were committed by the patriarchs that the effects can still be seen up to the fourth generation the scriptures say but then we also have what we call personal sin. Personal sin is the end. It's not no original sin and it's not no ancestral sin. It is the one you did yourself. That's personal sin. But the truth be told, all of us are born into the world with the sin nature and sin separates us from God. Sin separates from us from God. It separates us from God's love. Now, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The free gift, hallelujah. It is the wages of sin is death. Uh, and so since we are all of the sin nature, and we all have personal sin, and we've all committed sin, it means that every single one of us, regardless of who you are or what you have, we are all deserving of death as consequence of our sin. There is none that is righteous, no, not one. In the book of Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 5b, it says, all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Did you get that? All of our righteousnesses, our best attempts, everything we do to make ourselves good, to make ourselves look noble, to make ourselves feel righteous. He says they are filthy rags. In fact, the scriptures, when we look at the, 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 the Hebrew that was translated filthy rags there, it's, it, it's, it, it's the picture of a soiled sanitary pad. I mean, that's so ugly, but that's, that's literally the interpretation. That's literally what it is. And as uncomfortable as we are with that picture, that's how God is saying your, your feeling of self-righteousness is a filthy rag, nasty it's nasty. That thing you're making to be using to make yourself feel like you're good. That uh, at least I'm good. At least I do this, that, and the other. I, I, I'm, I've, 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 you've put on the perfume, the nice clothes. You've, you're well spoken. You're cute or handsome. God says it's all filthy rags. Our best offer, our efforts to be righteous still fall woefully short. The illustration is given of the 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 gap in the the distance between the two rims of the Grand Canyon. The the Grand Canyon, the the gap, the gulf there is about nine miles long, long or forty seven thousand two hundred and fifty feet wide the gap between the two rims of the grand canyon and 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 no human being can jump uh from one rim to the other rim uh, all right that's that's how i mean it's too wide who, who can jump 
jump nine miles. But you know that uh, the, uh, one person, uh, the athlete, the the, the great um, long jumper might be able to jump 15 feet or, or 16 feet. I don't know what the, the records are right now. And while somebody else might only be able to jump four feet in terms of of the width, all right. Um, so the person that's able to jump fifteen feet might 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 say, "Hey, come on, see me. I can jump fifteen feet. I can jump ten feet. I can jump twelve feet, and you can only jump four feet uh, and feel all good and dandy because he can jump so long." But in the context of the width of the Grand Canyon, nine miles long, forty-seven thousand two hundred and fifty feet wide it doesn't matter whether you can even jump a hundred feet or whether you can only jump one feet there's no difference between those two capabilities or competencies in the context of how wide the grand canyon is do you get me what i'm saying and this is this is the point our sin our sin nature is 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 like the grand canyon's width it is too wide that our best efforts cannot bridge the gap between the two. Therefore, we can take no solace. Listen to me. You can take no solace in your ability to jump 15 feet. Neither can you take any solace in your uh, ability to jump or only two feet or three feet. It doesn't matter how wide you can jump by yourself. It's not going to make any difference because the width is too wide. You only take solace, and this is the challenge with us, we only take solace when we compare ourselves with ourselves. That's why the scripture says elsewhere that those that compare themselves with themselves are not wise. You know, when we compare ourselves with ourselves, then we start to feel that I'm faring better than that other person. At least uh, um, by the time things are checked out, at least I'll be on the upper cut. I won't be on the lower cut. <laughs> you know, it's just like that, that story that is told that if a ferocious uh, zombie is chasing you or if a ferocious lion or, uh, or a dog is chasing you and there are two of you, all you need to do is make sure that you're faster than the other person. <laughs> because the, the zombie, the lion, the dog will catch the other person before you. But it is not so when we're talking about the chasing of sin, the wages of sin and death, there's nobody that can outrun it without divine help. It will still catch up with you. It reminds me of the other story where it's told about these two people that went to the temple to pray and there was the poor man that was praying and then there was the man of nobility that was praying and you could hear the poor man just crying out for mercy oh god help me while the the the, the man of station was saying god look at me I'm, at least i'm better than that guy over there you see we take solace in our comparisons with one another but when we compare ourselves with what the requirements of the law what the requirements of righteousness is we realize that none of us fares better than the others our best efforts of efforts at reaching god are totally worthless your best best efforts at reaching god are totally worthless we are all in need of grace every single one of us is in need of grace you need grace i need grace grace 
is not our reaching out to God because our reaching out to God could not reach God, but grace is God reaching out to us. It is God that bridges, bridges the gulf of the Grand Guyon. It is God, Grand Guyon. It is God that bridges the gulf between us and him caused by sin. Hallelujah. We are all in need of grace. Therefore, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, it says, Therefore, the law was our tutor. The law was our tutor, our teacher. Galatians 3.24 to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. How does the law do, do this? The law came to reveal sin, to show sin as exceedingly sinful. Romans chapter 7 and verse 13. The law is our tutor. The law did not come for us to be able to fulfill it by ourselves, but rather the law came to show us how bereft we were of ability or competence to fulfill it. The, the law does not give you the power to fulfill it. The law introduces us to our need for grace. The law introduces us to our need for grace. In fact, this we, we also see this in the book of Galatians in chapter 3. It talks about how we are, uh, how the law was our tutor. It was to teach us. It was to bring us. It was to show us our need for grace. As we attempt to fulfill the law, we find out that we cannot fulfill the law. Even our best efforts still cannot fulfill the law. Therefore, we must only conclude. We must come to the conclusion that we need the grace of God. We need God's help. We cannot help ourselves. Do you get me what I'm saying? In, in fact, Jesus came, and you must realize that before Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, the, the larger part of his, his ministry before then was under the old covenant. Jesus came to show us the law. To, in fact, Jesus' standards that he expressed when he was talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the men and women of his time was to show them the higher standards of God, which was even higher than the ceremonial laws of the of the of the Jews. Yeah, he says that if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery. He raised the standard higher. Why? Not to 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 cause you to strive the more to try to fulfill it, but to show you that you definitely need divine help to be able to fulfill the standards of God. Hallelujah. So why does our own righteousness fall so short? Why does our why do our righteousnesses fall so short? Let me give you a few scriptures to help you really see the depth of our need for grace. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, one of my favorite scriptures from when I was a youth, I used to quote it a lot. Therefore, whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. According to this scripture, all is to be done. Every single thing you do is to be done to the glory of God. This is a law. This is an instruction. This is not a suggestion. This is a commandment. Everything you do, do it to the glory of God. So therefore, the reverse is true. Anything that is not done for the glory of God 
is sin. You're disobeying that scripture. When you do something and it's not for the glory of God, then that thing in itself becomes a sin. Now, if that becomes the standard of what is sin and what is not sin, <laughs> that means that even good deeds that are done for a motive aside from giving glory to God is sin. That means sometimes my charity is actually a sin. Maybe not a sin to the person that's receiving the charity, but a sin to me because I didn't do it for the glory of God. I did it for my own glory. I did it for my own satisfaction. I did it for my own feeling of goodness and self-righteousness. This elevates sin above the level of whether it is an, uh, the act is good or bad. It now deals with the motivation behind the act. You can start to see how our righteousness our best righteousness can still fall woefully short because the righteousness is about self and it's not about God. Let me give you another, another one. In the book of Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, it says that he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. <laughs> Now, giving you a bit of background on this scripture, in that, that scripture in Romans 14, 23, the background is that there's this whole debate about whether you should eat meat that has been um, dedicated or for, for worshipping idols or you should not eat the meat that has been dedicated um, from, from, to worshipping idols. And it had caused a division in the, in the, in, amongst the saints while some were saying, of course I can eat the meat, while others were saying, no, 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 you should not eat the meat. Then Paul comes in to settle this dispute. And he was he basically says that it doesn't matter. <laughs> he said it doesn't matter. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Paul, what are you talking about here? He was saying, well, if you decide not to eat it, it's all right. If you decide to eat it, it's all right. It's really inconsequential. But then he goes and uses an opportunity to teach us deeper. He starts talk, talking about that really it's about the conviction, the belief in your own heart. He says that if you go ahead and eat it while you are still doubting, you are not convinced in your own heart that you should eat it, that it's the right thing to do, then to you it is a sin because it has not proceeded out of faith, out of a true conviction, a full persuasion that is the right thing to do. Are you getting me what I'm saying? And the reverse is also true that if you decide not to eat it, but you still have doubtful disputations as to whether you should or should not, then even you are still in sin. He was talking about let each man be fully persuaded in his own heart. Whatever does not proceed out of faith or whatever does not proceed out of a full conviction, um, a full belief system, it is sin. Again, this lifts the sin above the level of the act itself. The, the point here is that even though the act in itself, in and of itself, might not be sin, if the person making the act is doing it outside of conviction, outside of faith, outside of belief, to him, it is a sin. The standard is high indeed. And you and I woefully fall short in attempting 
to earn our own salvation by what we do or don't do. We are all in need of grace. You and I need grace. We are all in need of grace. We are saved by grace because nothing else could save us. Not your good works, not your good deeds, not your connections, not who you know or who knows you. you we are saved by grace and not of works, lest any man should boast. I can't boast. I can't be proud. I am what I am today. I sit where I sit today because of the grace of God. If your works saved you, then you would have a premise to boast and to be proud. But when you realize that your salvation is wholly a work of grace, you have no grounds for boasting or being proud, save in the grace of God. You only, your only premise is for, for humble thanksgiving and gratitude is for what has been done for you. So we have to resign from works and embrace grace. You and I have to resign from works, from trying to earn it by our own strength, our own know-how, our own abilities and embrace the grace of God. It's time to resign from, grace, from works and embrace the amazing grace of God. It's time to move from a performance-based Christianity to a grace-fueled Christianity. Ooh, hallelujah. Amen. Move from performance to grace. Move from a performance-based Christianity where it's all about, oh, I've got to perform this well for God to do this to a grace-based Christianity where you are receiving what has been done on your behalf. Every attempt to earn salvation by works is actually a slap in the face of the grace of God. It's an insult to grace. It's time to enter the rest of grace. In the book of Hebrews and chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, it says, Therefore, there remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also seized from his works as God did from his. The rest that remains for the people of God is the rest of grace. Hallelujah. So this rest we are meant to enter into is the rest of grace where we have seized from our own works and puny attempts to earn the salvation of God and we simply receive what God has done on our behalf. How is this amazing grace accessed? Well, our pilot text told us, it says, for by grace we are saved through faith. So it is by faith that we access the grace of God. Grace is all that God gives and we are only able to receive it by faith. Faith is our access to the grace of God. So grace is the giver, faith is the re receiver. Grace is the giver. Faith is the receiver. Grace gives us all of God and we receive all of God by faith. Now, we're going to be going deeper in the next couple of weeks and really bringing it into the place of relevance in your life because most of us have do believe in salvation by grace. We believe in saving grace, but we have not learned how to live by grace. 
Many of us, we, we will throw our hands up and say, yes, I'm saved by grace. Grace saved me. But then we don't continue to live by grace. Subconsciously, we believe that after being saved by grace, we must now live on by works. So we see grace as the doorway. And once I've entered in through the doorway, then I'm left to my own efforts once again to perfect what God started by grace. After being freely saved, we attempt to now earn the salvation we already have by the works of the flesh of the works of the law. Listen to the way Paul said it to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, woo, who has bewitched you that you would not, you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? After begun, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Do you hear that? He's telling us that how can you, you, you started this thing by grace, by the spirit. Now you think that it's your flesh or your works that's going to perfect it. It doesn't work. Most of us understand and agree with saving grace, but have not yet entered into and embraced enabling grace. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I have labored more than all the other saints, yet not I but Christ in me, but the grace of God that has been given to me. Grace doesn't just save us. Grace enables us to now be able to live out the purposes of God, to live the life that we've been called to be to live. We are his workmanship. Grace enables us to do the good works that God always intended for us to do, but that we could not do by ourselves. We always needed his grace in order to be able to do it. Before the close of this series, we will learn how to not just be saved by grace, but how to also live by grace, enabling grace. I'm believing God that before you're through with this series, even from tonight, you start to experience the, the untold dimensions of great God's grace. He's able to cause all grace to abound towards you, that you will have all sufficiency in every good works, abounding in bountiful, overflowing fruit, all by the grace of God, enabling grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this is an understanding we must be rooted and grounded in to walk in true liberty and in true freedom. So I'm going to close tonight by telling us that our posture and what we are meant to be doing right now is thanking God for his grace. Thank God for what he has done. Thank God for the sacrifice that he has already made for us. Thank God that we could not bridge the gap, but he bridged the gap for us. We could not reach him by ourselves, but he reached out to us. Even in our attempts to reach him, was shrouded in selfishness, self-centeredness, self-righteousness. And he broke through all of that 
by Christ Jesus and pulled us unto himself. Grace is unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it, but he reserved it. Hallelujah. Thank you for your grace. I bless you for your grace even tonight. I behold the wonders of your grace and I give you all the glory. Another person put it this way, using grace as an acronym. And it says, God's riches at Christ's expense. Hallelujah. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus paid the price for you to be able to enjoy all of God's riches, not at your own price, not out of paying out of your own pocket. The price has already been paid by Christ Jesus once and for all in full. He paid. Your job now is to receive what has been paid for. Glory to God. Bless God. Give him the glory for his grace. That's what our posture is meant to be. A posture, a constant posture of thank you, Lord, for your grace. Grace is divine enablement. Hallelujah. To do what you couldn't do before. To be what you couldn't be before. To go where you couldn't go before. To achieve what you couldn't achieve before. To attain what you couldn't attain before. Lord, thank you for your grace. Can we take a moment even tonight? Can you stop whatever you're doing even tonight and just give God the praise for his grace? Thank you for your grace. I need your grace. I could do nothing without your grace. I could not outrun I couldn't outrun the claws of, 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 of sin. I could not pay the wages of sin. But Jesus came and he intervened. He paid what I was owing, overpaid what I was owing. Hallelujah. Thank you for your grace. I appreciate your grace, Lord. Even tonight, I worship and extol you for your grace. Where would I be if not for your grace. Thank you, Jesus. We give you the glory. We give you the praise even tonight. And if you are out there and you have not yet embraced and received the grace of God, I'm calling you tonight to respond to that call. The price has been paid for you. This is the gospel. Not that you have to do this, that, and the other, climb a mountain, um, do this, and all of those requirements. No, that it has been done for you. Your job is to receive by faith what has been done for you. So if you are out there, you haven't yet surrendered your life to Christ Jesus. You haven't come into the commonwealth of the faith of the kingdom. Repeat these words of prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. Today, I repent of my sin and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart. I confess with my mouth. And therefore, by faith, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I am saved. I am born again. I am now the righteousness of God. Hallelujah in Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer, you are indeed saved. You are delivered 
The grace of God has accepted you. The grace of God has saved you. Glory to God. And we want you to grow. We want you to be established. We want you to grow in this grace and no longer be entangled in the in the bondage of sin and of fear and of death. Hallelujah. So we want you to connect with us direct message us on any of our platforms or send us an email or follow the pathway on our website and let's help you to grow in the grace of God from being a child of God to becoming a mature son of God and make sure you stay tuned to this series because this series won't get you rooted and grounded in the grace of God thank God for his grace amen and amen God bless you, brethren. I trust you've been blessed by that word. We can't close out the service. I have one or two other announcements to make and we'll be done. But we can't even get there without giving you an opportunity to give to the work of the Lord. It takes a whole lot of finance to do the things that we do. I want to encourage you to give generously and to give abundantly towards the work of the Lord. The various ways in which you can give are now being shown upon the screen. Please choose the way most preferred by you to give. And give generously, give from the bottom of your heart towards the work of the Lord. And trust God that even as you give, he's going to open, open up the windows of heaven. He's going to pour you out a blessing that you cannot have enough room to contain. And that blessing is wisdom, is knowledge, is favor, is, is innovation, is creativity um, that you will now be able to use to get stupendous wealth in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that the blessings of giving will not elude you but they will abound upon you in Jesus' mighty name. Let's close out this service by sharing the prayer of grace together. May the grace of the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. And surely God's goodness and God's mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. You shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you soon.